Everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. Until the majority of the people in, the, in this community, and particularly those, again, that, that haven't felt like they've had a voice in current government, we need to make sure that everyone feels confident that they will have a voice. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. The city of Syracuse is searching for a new leader, and there are a number of individuals who have declared their candidacy. Anyone living in central New York has a vested interest in who will emerge as the victor, including yours truly. I've had the good fortune of speaking with a few of the candidates, and I'd like to share those conversations with you. Our next candidate and I have a lot in common, from sharing a collegiate alma mater to our children, well, his child and my grands, playing on the same Little League baseball team. My name is Ben Walsh, and I am running for mayor of the city of Syracuse. Thank you, Ben, for being on 52 Conversations. And I'd like to start out by asking you why you are running for mayor, but I'd like to also add to that question, how did you realize that you wanted to run for mayor? Right. So it, it's interesting. I can't pinpoint one specific time where, where the light bulb went off and said, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm running for mayor. It was kind of a, an ongoing process. Um, it, I, I think I really started to think about it when I was working at City Hall. I went to work for Mayor Minor as her director of economic development back in 2010. And it really wasn't until I started working in City Hall where I really felt like I had found my niche, I had found my place where I could do the most good for my community, which was always the kind of the driving force. I, I knew I wanted to be in public service. I knew I wanted to give back to the city of Syracuse. I wasn't sure how until, again, I got to City Hall. And over the course of the six years that I was there, I slowly got to the point where uh, I, I realized that it was something that I wanted to do. So what do you believe are the necessary qualities that a mayor must have to be effective. I'll also preface that question with, you know, talk about how you possess those qualities. Sure. Yeah, so I think I'll start with independence, and, and not just because I'm an independent. I'm not enrolled in any political party, but I think it's really important that the mayor be independent-minded, uh, that they not be beholden to any specific special interests. I think I possess those qualities, again, not only because I'm not enrolled in a party and therefore not beholden to traditional party politics, but I'm also independent in, uh, in the way I go about my job. Uh, I've, I feel like I've developed a track record as someone that you know, is, is able to set issues aside and focus on the common good, focus on what, um, you know, where people's goals align. Um, so independence, I think, is, is critical. Number two, leadership. Uh, another word that's, that's used, uh, probably overused, but I think, I believe I have a strong track record of being a leader in this community, whether it's in the not-for-profit sector where I currently serve as the board president of the Gifford Foundation or going back to my time at City Hall uh, where I developed a reputation as somebody that uh, was able to bring people together to get things done. Whether it was a big project like the Hotel Syracuse, which many people had written off, and, and uh, once I found the, uh, the developer, Ed Riley, who ultimately took on the project. I was able to bring the county to the table, the city to the table, all the right people to get it done. You also look at um, neighborhoods, which is an important issue for me in, in the work that I've done with the, with the land bank. And the land bank was really nothing more than a concept about 10 years ago, and uh, it was something that I had kind of stumbled upon during my work uh, at the Metropolitan Development Association. But we took it from a concept that we thought might be applicable to Syracuse. 
Uh, we worked with our state officials to get legislation passed that allowed for the creation of land banks. And then by the time I got to the city, I was in a position to help uh, actually create the land bank, uh, partner with the county to do so. So again, being a leader who has a track record of getting things done. And finally, another word that a lot of people throw around is passion. Uh, but hopefully uh, it comes across to people how uh, deeply passionate I am about this community. It's my hometown. I think we have so many of the right ingredients to be an incredible city. And in many ways, we already are an incredible city. Um, but whether uh, we're talking about education, where I have um, uh, two daughters, one of whom is, is in the city school district, one of whom is, is in age yet, um, but uh, I'm passionate about children being able to get a good education in the city. When I talk about uh, inclusion and, and making sure that everyone in the city has the same access to opportunities, uh, that's something that I'm passionate about. So my passion for this community and the people within this community is something that I think differentiates myself. So independence, leadership, and passion, all of which I think I possess. Okay. If you were elected mayor, what would be the top three areas that you would focus on? Yeah, it's, it's hard to pick just three, but uh, in no particular order. Again, I'll go back to education. Um, I couldn't have more invested in the city school district with my daughter there. Uh, and I'm really encouraged by what's, what's happening with the city school district right now. There are still plenty of challenges, plenty of, uh, of problems with the school district, especially given the poverty in this community and, and the related impacts of that. But when I look at the school district, I see improvements in graduation rate, up to 64%. Again, nowhere near acceptable, but certainly an improvement from where we've been. I look at the closing of the racial achievement gap between black and white students as being a really remarkable achievement that I think we need to celebrate. Uh, so, so I like what I'm seeing at the school district. I like the experience that uh, I had as a parent. Um, there is plenty more to do, but I think uh, with the right leadership uh, in the mayor's office, we can continue to build on that progress and momentum. So that's education. Uh, second, um, crime. Crime is an issue that we all deal with and every city deals with. Um, specifically, the murders in the city have been uh, something uh, to be concerned about. We had a record high um, murder rate last year. That's, that's really concerning, um, and I'm going to spend a lot of time focused on it. Uh, the first thing we need to do, and I think most people agree, is we need to hire more police officers, which of course costs money, um, but you need to prioritize, and that's a priority for me. Um, we need to make sure that, that not only we're hiring uh, more officers, but that we're making sure that those officers are on the street, walking the beat, in neighborhoods, developing relationships with the community. Community policing strategies are really important, and I think that's something that uh, we need to improve on in this community is the relationships between the police department and the community. They're, they're great in many areas, but in some they're not, and I think that's something we need to focus on. I think the use of technology in, uh, in crime is important. We've, uh, there have been cameras that have gone up in certain neighborhoods. Generally speaking, they've been, uh, they've been a good thing. Neighborhoods, um, I've, been, I've heard from a lot of neighbors that want them in their neighborhood, so I think we need to increase those. I think cameras also can be useful um, when it comes to um, uh, body cameras for police officers. It's something that the city is just starting to implement. Uh, as mayor, I would make sure that we continue to implement uh, body cameras um, throughout the force. Uh, and, and the great thing about the body cameras is they, they, they not only protect the officers that are wearing them, but they protect the community and the people that the officers are engaging with. So that, that's important. And uh, so I mentioned education, I mentioned crime, and last but certainly not least, I mentioned poverty and closely related um, the economy. I, I was the city's economic development director for six years. I talked about some of the accomplishments we had. I think I, I bring a, um, a strong resume of someone uh, that, uh, that can get projects done, 
that serves as a, a as a ambassador for the city um, and engaging with business owners and people, encouraging them to do business in uh, in the community. Um, I, and on a related note, you know, I think we need to really look at our workforce development strategies and make sure that we're uh, really training people for the jobs that are available. There was nothing more frustrating to me at the city uh, than when I would talk to a business owner in one meeting who would say we can't find anybody to fill our positions and then in the next meeting I'm talking to people that are looking for jobs and, and can't find them. So I think we really need to work on alignment there. Uh, so again, education, crime, uh, and the economy and poverty I think are uh, right the three right at the top of the list. Okay, and I'd like to ask a couple of follow-up sure. questions around each of those. So starting out with education, give me some descriptive, tangible ways that the city could work with the, um, with the school board and, or the Department of Education to improve the education level attainment of students in Syracuse? Well, I think, uh, you know, the, to, to your point, there is a superintendent, there is a school board, and they are uh, primarily responsible for the school district. I think the role that the mayor has to play is, is not necessarily to tell them what to do because they're experts in their field. And it, it's really playing a supportive role. It's maintaining those lines of communication to understand what their priorities are and how, as mayor, we can help uh, address them. Uh, certainly the, uh, through the city budgeting process where two-thirds of the city's budget goes to the school district. I think that's probably where the mayor has the most direct ability to influence what happens with the school district. So it's, it's, it's maintaining relationships with, with the experts, with the superintendent, with the school board. Uh, also um, talking to parents, um, being uh, uh, in the schools, understanding what's happening there, um, and, then, uh, and then helping to, uh, to support the, the policies that they develop. You mentioned crime, mm -hmm. and with crime, one of the factors in, in crime is that Police Chief Fowler yeah. uh, has mentioned that when Mayor Miner steps down that he will step down as well. Have you considered who you may appoint as the next Syracuse Police Chief? And if, if not a specific individual, what type of qualities would you want that person to have? Yeah, I don't have a specific individual in mind at this point. The way in which I will go, go about that selection process is by talking to people whose opinions I value. Um, first and foremost, I think we need to talk to people in the community. We need to understand what's working with the police department um, from their perspective and what's not working, uh, what they see as important qualities within the uh, within the. Uh, police chief. Uh, I think we need to do th the same thing uh, within the police department and talking to the officers that are going to report to this police chief, understand uh, what their priorities are uh, and, and what works and, and, and also make sure it's somebody that, um, you know, that I can have a, a productive working relationship with. So again, I want, I want somebody much in the way Chief Fowler was when he was appointed uh, that is uh, known uh, and respected within the community. Uh, that is um, uh, is a leader uh, and, and can strike that right balance between uh, looking out for the best interests of his officers or her officers um, uh, but also um, uh, looking out for the best interests of, of the community at the same time. Sure. And economic development. Yeah. What do you see as a, uh, as a successful strategy that would bring along individuals in lower socioeconomic statuses yeah. uh, in a way that they could become more financially or economically viable. Yeah, I think there a, a few a few things come to mind. One, you know, for as much attention and understandably so that we focus on people that are unemployed, um, there's uh, there's even more people in this community in every community that 
we would classify as underemployed. These are people that are currently working every day, uh, oftentimes all day. They, they have the, the soft skills that are necessary to hold down a job, but they are not in a position where they have any upward mobility. Um, so it, uh, one opportunity is to work with those folks uh, that are underemployed, figure out what the barriers are that are keeping them uh, from, uh, from moving up, whether it's in that industry or another industry, uh, and I think that, uh, that that's an area where we could be successful. Um, I also think, going back to my, my experience in economic development, you know, for as much as the, the big projects uh, got a lot of the headlines, really some of the best work that I did was engaging with existing small businesses and entrepreneurs in this community. It's a lot easier to help uh, a business, to grow business, to grow jobs, uh, if you're dealing with people that have already made the conscious decision to do business uh, here in the city. And there, there is a lot. Uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs in this community. You see storefronts, you know, popping up uh, in different neighborhoods all the time. Uh, and, and similarly, in how uh, I would deal with people that are underemployed, I think with with these folks that uh, that that do have these businesses and that are starting these businesses, we need to figure out what are your barriers to growth. Sometimes it's regulatory and they are having problems getting through the city's permitting process or zoning process. Those are areas where I, I have helped when I was at the city and I could continue to help. In some cases it is financial. Maybe they're um, you know, maybe uh, taxes are uh, are prohibitive in a, in a particular area or there's something else that's keeping them from taking that next step in their growth. So again, I think where our time uh, and my time as mayor would be best spent is, is engaging with those folks who are already doing business here, who want to do business here, and figuring out how we remove those barriers to growth. Certainly. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to 52 Conversations with B. Moore. My guest today is Ben Walsh, and he's actually running for mayor of Syracuse. Another question that I have for you, Ben, is about the Consensus Commission's report. And I'd like to know what your thoughts are about the report itself and particularly about any approach to uh, metropolitan government has been, been highlighted and mm -hmm. uh, mentioned in the report. What's your thoughts? Yeah. So in the interest of full disclosure, I do like to point out when discussing this that my father uh, is one of the three co-chairs on the Consensus Commission. So as much as I try not to be biased, I probably am slightly. That being said, the, the, the issue of government modernization and consolidation is not a new issue for this community. Back in 2005, when I was getting my master's in public administration up at the Maxwell School, I did my capstone project on city-county consolidation. I've spoken to people up at Maxwell that did their capstone on it 10 and 20 and 30 years before. Again, it's not a new issue. And a lot of the low-hanging fruit that was identified in this, in this report, uh, whether it was economic development, uh, water, public works, it's been hanging there for a long time. So uh, I think what we need to do is to actually start to, to pick off some of this low-hanging fruit. And there are a lot of good, solid recommendations in that report that if, uh, if, as mayor, I would take action on immediately. Now, the big question, of course, is do we fully consolidate city and county government? Uh, what I've said and will continue to say is I'm open to the idea. Uh, I think that having spent six years in City Hall, I saw uh, um, inefficiencies everywhere I looked. And so I think we, again, the, the value of the consensus report and the consensus commission is that it's really forcing us to, to face those issues head on. And you can see in the reaction of some people in the community, particularly the people that have the most invested in the status quo, um, namely elected officials, they are uh, uh, pushing back very hard against it um, because change is hard. 
so I appreciate that the fact that the, that this process has forced people to begin to grapple with those issues. Again, the the idea of a fully consolidated government, I'm open to it. I think that we uh, we can work in that direction. But ultimately, I don't want to predetermine the outcome. I think more dialogue needs to happen in the community. Uh, one priority for me is uh, that I've heard pretty consistently from some of our marginalized uh, people in this community, uh, minority communities, is that there there's a real concern out there uh, that a consolidated government could dilute the influence of people within those communities. And that's a real concern for me, whether it's a perception or reality, until the majority of the people in, the, in this community, and particularly those, again, that, that haven't felt like they've had a voice in current government, we need to make sure that everyone feels confident that they will have a voice, not only as strong as is with the status quo, but stronger. Um, so as long as we, we keep those priorities in mind, I'm happy to continue to move in that direction, uh, again, without predetermining the outcome. Sure, sure. Ben, tell me a little bit about your history here in Syracuse. You say you're a Syracuse native, mm -hmm. you've grown up here. What do you like about Syracuse? So, uh, yeah, I'm born and raised, um, 37 years old, I'll be 38 in a, in a couple months. I uh, spent most of my life here. I uh, escaped um, briefly and went to the same college you do, Ithaca College, go Bombers. And, uh, and, and after that, uh, traveled around a little bit. Um, but ultimately, uh, I, ca I came back home because I do love this community. And as I mentioned before, I, I just think we have all the ingredients to be uh, a spectacular community in every way. We have... We have many of the assets that big cities have, whether it's you know our architecture, our arts and culture, our entertainment, our sports. But we also have a very small town feel. I think I think we really strike a right balance there. And uh, it, and you know I have I have had the opportunity to see when this community does work uh, and when we are working together. You know, when I, early on when I was working at the city, there was a time when the mayor and the county executive and the governor and our federal uh, um, leaders really were quite well aligned in, in the work that we were doing and, I, and you could feel it. It was, it was, uh, it was tangible and, and it felt like we were starting to, to, to make progress. We were getting some traction. And, once those relationships started to deteriorate, it kind of felt like we've been, it feels like we've been stuck in the mud ever since. So I, I feel like, you know, we are poised uh, to, to be the best community we can be and with the right leadership. And, and I think that includes me as mayor um, and with everyone pushing in the same direction, uh, we can be that. And, and as I mentioned earlier, in many ways we already are. So I, I'm excited to, to just continue to, to improve things. What have been some of the deficits that you have seen over your years here, and how would you like to uh, improve upon those things, or do you see opportunities for improvement? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'll start right where I left off with, with relationships. I think for whatever reason, uh, there it's been uh, it's been hard to uh, to have all of our leaders in the community uh, on the same page and working together, and I think that that's that's hurt us. You know, we have enough forces working against us as a community, you know, global macroeconomic forces that, it, that led to us losing the industries that we lost. We can't afford to work against ourselves, but all too often we're, we're really good at it, and that's just not acceptable. So I think we, uh, we hold ourselves back as much as anything. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier poverty. We have a serious issue with poverty in this community, you know, even more so than many of our peer communities, uh, particularly within our minority communities, our, our, our black and Latino communities. That's a real problem. That's something that I think we need to face head on. We need to have open 
uh, honest conversations about why we find ourselves in this situation, conversations that deal with race and other topics that people aren't always comfortable talking about. So those are the things that immediately come to mind that, uh, that, that hold us back. Um, you know, I also go back to what uh, saying of one of my former bosses that we have this self-imposed inferiority complex that you know all, all too often we are harder on ourselves than other people from outside of the community are so part of that I think again does come back to the leadership within this community um, not that we stick our heads in the sand and pretend that everything's great but that when we do have things to celebrate uh, that we do celebrate them and we don't apologize for doing that so those are those are a few things that come to mind that I feel like are are holding us back but none of them are insurmountable in my mind Tell me your thoughts about I-81, mm -hmm. because I understand that that's probably a pretty huge issue that the city and the county are facing. And what would be your stance on I-81, and how would you as mayor affect that process? Yeah, well, I think most people would agree that when I-81 was first built through the city, and I, I don't think either of us were born uh, at that point, but it really did significant damage to our community, um, not only to the urban fabric, but to the community fabric, to the people that were living in the neighborhoods that were, um, you know, that were basically torn down to, to build the highway. And in many ways, we've never healed those wounds. Um, I see this as a real opportunity for us to heal some of those wounds and to actually weave our community back together. Um, that is to say that I believe based on the options in front of us right now um, that the community grid option which is removing the elevated viaduct, rerouting through traffic around the city on 481, that's my preferred solution. Uh, I think that you know I am not dismissive um, uh, to the concerns that some people have whether it's about you know the businesses that are dependent on the current traffic patterns with 81 whether it's people that are used to certain commute times those are all issues that you know it's all relative but for certain people those are important but when in the grand scheme of things when I look at the opportunities that exist by taking down the elevated um, uh, viaduct um, whether it's putting property that's not currently on the tax rolls on the tax rolls we all know that we've got fiscal challenges in the city and to be able to put property back on the tax rolls is a really exciting opportunity, especially when it's strategically located right in between downtown and University Hill, two of the, the fastest growing census tracts and two of the, the most you know, significant uh, economic um, uh, areas in, in all of the region. I also look at it you know, in terms of sending a message about what, what type of community we want to be. I mean, I, I say it half kidding and half serious. Here we are in Syracuse debating about whether or not to you know, replace uh, an old piece of infrastructure, 20th century infrastructure, when in cities like Dubai, they're talking about uh, having uh, flying cars. And in Pittsburgh, uh, you have driverless cars driving around the city right now. They are looking forward and, and we're looking back. We're saying, how do we keep things the way they are? And really, you know, talking about um, doubling down on 20th century infrastructure in a 21st century economy. The reality is less people are driving these days. Cars are not going to be used uh, as much as other forms of transportation. So uh, given all of those things and more, uh, I'm a strong supporter of the community grid option in removing the elevated viaduct. Sure. You know, another issue that Syracuse as a community is facing is uh, the whole concept of sanctuary city. Mm -hmm. And we know that Mayor Miner has stated that she plans to continue to keep Syracuse as a sanctuary city. If you're elected, would you continue that practice? And the other part of that question is how would you defend 
that position. Yeah, so I, uh, I understand and appreciate why the mayor has uh, declared us a sanctuary city. There are people, uh, especially in light of the current national dialogue around refugees and immigrants, uh, people are scared. I've talked to uh, refugees that live in this community legally uh, that are really scared. And so when the mayor declared us as a sanctuary city, I think for some people it gave them peace of mind. That being said, I, I do have concerns about that designation, not the least of which is the fact that the, the city is really not in a position to declare ourselves a sanctuary city, as has been fairly well documented. It really is a, is a county issue because the county runs the jails, interacts directly with, with ICE, and so I don't think that we can uh, declare ourselves as a sanctuary city without having that broader dialogue. Listen, I, I, I love the fact that we are a refugee resettlement community. I think that the immigrants and the refugees that have uh, come into this community and continue to come into this community add significant value to our city, whether it's by opening up businesses, whether it's by buying homes. I will be an ardent supporter and aggressive defender of everyone in this community, including uh, refugees and immigrants. But, but again, I, I, I'm concerned about the, the sanctuary city status, uh, also because, um, you know, I think people oftentimes get confused between illegal immigrants and refugees and immigrants. The, the folks that we're talking about that are in our community, in large part, are here legally. Uh, there was a recent Pew Research study that showed that we actually had the lowest rate of illegal immigration of any of any city uh, in, in the country. So it, it is not a significant issue here, uh, and therefore by unnecessarily inserting Syracuse into the national spotlight as a sanctuary city, I think it does pose a risk. Uh, whether it's because of the threats of the current federal government and, and taking back funds uh, or for other reasons. So um, my goal as mayor is going to be to make it very clear in everyone's minds that I'm going to defend and support all people in the city, including refugees and immigrants. Um, but I think we can do it in a way that we don't, um, that we don't have to insert ourselves into that national dialogue um, uh, because it's really not, uh, uh, not our fight. Okay. In addition to sharing an alma mater, we also share an organization, at least past for me, present for you, uh, the Gifford Foundation. Yeah. And one of the organizations that I know that Gifford has a really strong relationship with is the Funders Network for Smart Growth in Livable Communities. Mm. And I know that a lot of the issues that we talk about here in Syracuse are front and center uh, with that organization. I just want to ask you, how has your experience with the Gifford Foundation helped you in terms of your purview of these issues here in Syracuse? It's had a profound impact on me as a person. Um, I've been on the board now for, geez, probably coming up on close to 10 years. And over that time, I've grown as a person. I've grown personally and professionally, and, and, and Gifford's been a big part of that. I think especially as it relates to the way in which I view and participate in community engagement. We call it the Gifford way. Uh, there's a, a very intentional way in which we as a foundation engage with the community. and the, and and. Um, you know, we, we talk about um, not, um, not giving a hand out, but a hand up and, and working with people where they are instead of where you want them to be or where you think they should be. And it also has helped me, so you know, from a kind of general philosophy and an approach, it's really influenced me. And it's also helped me to develop some really amazing relationships throughout the community. And, and 
you know, we, we pride ourselves on having a diverse board, um, diversity being defined in a number of different ways, whether it's racially, ethnically, as it relates to abilities, gender. Um, it's given me an opportunity to engage with people that maybe I, I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, so, like I said, it's really had a profound impact on me, and I'm really honored and humbled to, to currently serve as president, and, um, and I'll, I'll stick around as long as they'll have me. Wonderful. Now I want to look at your pedigree, your upbringing, mm -hmm. and your father, your grandfather have both had long-standing political careers here in central New York, and I mean, it's, it's a, a legacy that's unmatched by any of your opponents. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to, first, the, the privilege of that, and then I'd also like you to speak to the responsibility of that. Yeah, so I am really proud of, uh, of my family, of my family history in this community, specifically the history of public service within my family, which, as you mentioned, includes my father, who served on the city council and in Congress, my grandfather, who was mayor and also served in Congress, uh, my aunts and uncles who have been judges, um, and, and my many other uh, relatives that have uh, just uh, very quietly gone about their business and, and serving uh, the community in their own way, whether it's through um, uh, volunteering for not-for-profits. Um, it, it, public service is ingrained, embedded uh, into our family and into me. Um, and, and as you, I think, rightly pointed out, it is a privilege. Um, I, I, I have no doubt that the reason I am where I am is because of the the, the privilege that uh, that's been um, that's been given to me. Um, and, uh, and and to your other point, um, there's a there's a significant responsibility associated with that privilege. Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I was put uh, in a position to succeed and then did what was necessary to succeed and, and hopefully will continue to do so. And oftentimes um, people are not put in that same position. So I, I look at the privilege that I have and I try to think about ways in which I can uh, help other people to benefit from that. You know, I, I joke that um, for as far back as I can remember, my mom would always talk about the importance of networking. Back when I was in high school, there would be some event that they would want, to, want me to go to, and she would say, Ben, it's a good networking opportunity. I'd say, Mom, I'm 16. What the heck do I care about networking? And really, it wasn't until more recently I started to look back. I said, geez, from, you know, just from the, from the beginning, certain kind of unwritten rules of society were being ingrained to me, uh, in, into me that helped put me in a position to be successful. And it is now that network, again, much of which... Uh, I inherited, and uh, but a significant amount that I've also uh, earned on my own that has given me the opportunities that I have today. So one of the ways that I, I try to uh, share that is is through um, you know, moving myself outside of my comfort zone and in in my regular um, uh, centers of influence. Um, you know, I mentioned Gifford's role in helping me to do that, into uh, helping other people to tap into my own network and the opportunity that comes along with it. So it's something that I'm proud of. Uh, it's something that I, I do see as a, a, a huge responsibility um, in, in making sure that I, I take full advantage of it and, and to and use it for uh, the betterment of the community. Uh, and that's that's uh, that's really um, why I'm doing what I'm doing and running for mayor because I think. That's the best opportunity I, I have uh, to give back to, to this community. Wonderful. Now, I have to ask you this because I know that your father was Republican. Mm -hmm. I know you worked for a Democratic mayor. 
What's your politics? Yeah. So uh, I am a small I independent. I've never been enrolled in a party. And, and in terms of my politics, it really depends on the issue. And, and you know, I joke that it was probably just more youthful rebellion than anything else that made me enroll as an independent when I was 18. But the reality is I've always resisted being put into a box. And, and you know, part of that might have been growing up in a, you know, in a, a relatively prominent family where you know, there was a history of politics and public service and people had certain expectations of me and I didn't want... Um, other people to think, and I didn't want to think myself that my destiny was predetermined, even though here I am running for mayor. Um, so I've always, again, resisted those labels, and, uh, and I think that oftentimes those labels really inhibit meaningful dialogue, uh, which I think leads to change, positive change. And I, and I relish the opportunity when somebody asks me if I'm a Republican or a Democrat, and I tell them neither. Um, after this brief moment of kind of confusion, uh, usually what, what follows is, is a dialogue. And, and through that, I think what, what uh, I typically find is whoever I'm talking to, we have more in common than we, than, um, than we do uh, not. And, and, and when you have that dialogue, you can uh, focus on those things that you have in common, focus on those common goals and, and, and uh, and drive towards uh, solutions. So um, it's a it's a really important part of who I am, not only as a candidate uh, but as a person, and it's something that I really embrace. Okay. As a final question, I'd like you to speak to potential voters out there, those who are considering who are going to be going to the polls, and just tell them who you are and what you stand for and why they should vote for you. Yeah. So I, as I've said before, um, I think we have all the ingredients to be a, a wonderful community, and in many ways we already are. I think uh, in a mayor, in a leader, what we need is somebody who can bring people together, who can uh, get things accomplished, who can do all of that with the best interests of the community in mind, and also who has a, a true understanding of what community is and that our community is a, is a wonderfully diverse community that needs to be reflected in the leadership uh, and the government uh, that is serving it. And that's something that I, that I truly value and that as, as mayor, uh, I'm going to make sure that I, I instill in, in my city government. So with everyone's support, I am confident that I, I can be elected mayor uh, and, uh, and be the leader that everyone uh, is hoping for, that everyone needs and, and, uh, and helps our city uh, reach its full potential. I want to thank my guest, Ben Walsh. Uh, we've been speaking about his run for mayor of Syracuse. Ben, I wish you well in your mayoral race and all of your endeavors. Thank you, Brian. To learn more about Ben Walsh's campaign for mayor of Syracuse, you can go to his website at www.benwalshformayor.com. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time. you have a story you'd like to share? If so, contact More About You at 315-863-2466.